Thank you, uh, Sister Suzette, for uh, continuing your instruction on the kids. Uh, our children's ministry, uh, Sister Suzette and Jerry and the other helpers, are making a big impact on the children, uh, children that have come through the children's ministry. Um, many of the young ones in the church uh, have all basically accepted Jesus at a young age, been baptized, and are well on their way to becoming a strong Christian. So praise God for the, her ministry and Jerry and all the others who are so faithfully teaching the children that they may be uh, led uh, to make wise decisions in their lives. So while uh, we continue our study today from Romans, uh, we are in Romans 12, 12, and uh, this section is sort of uh, the less theological section where Paul has already done that, and now he's talking about some practical instructions for a church. And if you remember the context also, in the early church, it wasn't, it wasn't like where we are today, where there's not a whole lot of conflict and war. And just to maintain your faith was a daily struggle for them because there was so much persecution against the church. If you said somewhere that you're publicly a Christian, there's, there's someone that's going to kill you in those days. So there's a great persecution under the Roman Empire for Christians. So in that context, Paul is giving these uh, specific instructions on how to press on as a believer. So we're going to take a look at that verse uh, today from Romans 12.12, 12, a very simple one verse. It says, uh, be joyful in prayer, patient in affliction, and faithful in, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So uh, we're just going to talk through uh, each section there, starting with be joyful in hope. So do you have joy in your heart? What's the source of joy in your heart? You know, our children can give us great joy as we think about what they will become someday, and that hope of what our children may become gives us joy in our hearts. So anytime we have something we're looking forward to, we're hoping that that will become realized, it gives us joy in our hearts uh, according to that hope. So we hope for many things, you know, hope to get, uh, go to a school that you're applying for, you, you have, you have uh, that gives you joy thinking about it, or a job that you're going to get, or a promotion you're going to get, or, or get married, you're engaged, and you're looking forward to that marriage date. Yeah. We found out yesterday that one of my um, uh, nieces, no, nephews is, I'm not sure what he is, he's to me, but <laughs> I, we have this, com my, I, I get relations all confused. Anyway, he's related to me somehow. And uh, <clears throat> he's getting married on my birthday, so we had this big conversation, how he's excited about the birthday that's going to come with his beloved, because they're engaged. So anytime we're looking forward to something, it gives us that, that hope or fills us with joy in our hearts. But oftentimes, if you think about it, how strong is the hope? Because the stronger your hope is, the stronger your joy will be. If you think, oh, that's not going to happen, right? Or you're pessimistic about it, oh, I just don't think that's going to be realized. It's not going to give you much joy, right? So the stronger the hope is that it's going to happen, the stronger your joy will be naturally, right? But what we realize is, the, the hope that we have is not, oh, you know, I hope something good happens. The hope is usually on the person that can make it happen, right? So if, you're, uh, if you want to go to school and you're applying for schools, what's important? The recommendation letter, right? The person that's writing the strong recommendation, if you have, you have hope in him or her, then that'll give you confidence, that they give you more hope that you're going to actually get into that school. Okay? If you're uh, applying for a job, who's important? The interviewer is important, right? Or someone you know oftentimes helps. 
okay? So your, your hope is based on the person. And then you think about, wow, that person really loves me, cares for me, and I'm going to get in and get that job. You have that confidence. And you, that confidence gives you the, the hope. And also, if you're looking forward to a promotion, your relationship with your boss actually matters, right? Are you confident in your boss that he likes you? He's going to give you a good review, and you're going to get that promotion, right? If you're not getting along with your boss, you don't have a whole lot of hope for a promotion. You don't have a whole lot of joy at work, right? It's all a function of the person. So what if you're engaged, like this uh, nephew person or something of mine? Ashley's cousin. <laughs> it's a relationship, OK? I don't know what that means to me, but it's her. OK. So anyway, he's going to get married. It's, I'll tell you about the saga someday about relationship. <laughs> but he's going to get married in January, and he's all excited because you know, he's engaged. Well, what hope does he have that he's going to actually get married, right? All he has is engagement. It's a, entirely a function of the one he's engaged to, right? Is she faithful? Does she love me? Is she going to see it through? Then you have the hope, but if she's like, oh, I'm not sure about this thing, you know, she's kind of wandering and drifting, my confidence is waning, that's not going to give you joy. You made all the reservations, it's going to make you anxious, right? So it's really about the person that puts your hope on that gives you joy. So for the Christian, who is our hope? Who do you put your hope on? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Amen. So Jesus says something and you would put our hope on it. So what does Jesus say? I mean, he says many things, but one of the verses in the Bible and John, <clears throat> we can go past that. And then he says, this is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If he were not so, I would have told you, because he's truthful, right? Jesus doesn't tend to lie about stuff, okay? He says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, the second coming of Jesus, and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now that is a promise right there from our Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going. He's already gone, actually. This is, you know, past tense. He's gone and prepared a place for us. There are many rooms, and one of those rooms is for us. I mean, it may not be like a literal box room, but the idea is there's a place in heaven for us, right? He's gone to prepare it. Does that give you joy? Does that give you joy as you think about that? I mean, you have to visualize a little bit, you know, in your mind, wow, what's heaven going to be like? You know, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be the presence of the glory of God, absence of sin, and anything evil. Satan is dead. You know, this is all good, right? And you think about it and say, wow, as I think about the glory that is to come and the hope that I have in that, it gives me joy to think about that. So Paul says, think about the things that you have as a promise of God and the hope that you have in that, and that will give you joy. So, I hope all of you have the joy of heaven in your hearts. Can I get an amen? amen. If you don't know for sure that you're going to be in heaven when you die, and you don't have that joy of salvation and the joy of expectation of going to heaven just yet, then please come see me after the service. Because one of the greatest things I would love you to have 
is that joy, right, that overcomes all conditions in your life to say, I have eternity as a promise from God. And I am sure of it because my Lord Jesus Christ himself has gone and prepared it for me and he is truthful and I rely on that. And if you have that, Praise the Lord, that is a gift from heaven. If you don't have it, you need to see me or somebody else quickly because that's actually a pretty important matter. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, it's not one of those things, oh, I hope for the best. No, not really. God wants us to be sure in the hope that we have, right? So Peter, who wrote in the book of Peter, and the, he talks about the suffering of the church because it was bad in those days, like I said, right? People were getting killed, martyred, eaten by lions, and Christians are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, can you just come now? That would be really good if you came today. I'm just tired and sick of this. So that's the context. And Peter says something amazing. This is what he says. He says, though you have not seen him, Jesus, because he hasn't come back yet, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. What is he talking about? We're anxiously awaiting the coming of Jesus. You haven't seen him yet, but you know he's going to come. Why? Because he said so, right? Everything Jesus says is going to happen because he is speaking the truth. He said, you haven't seen him yet, but wait a little while. But while you're waiting and you're suffering, be reminded of what you have received. And as you think about the gift of heaven, right, you have the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus, and it gives us an inexpressible joy. What is that? You cannot even put it into words. It's so good, right? Like, if someone comes to you and says, tell me about what it's going to be like, I'd love to tell you, but I can't. It's just so good, I can't even put it into words. Just, just wait. It's just going to be amazing, right? That's inexpressible joy. You can't even get it out. It's so good, right? And the glorious joy that is to come. So Peter reminds the suffering church that good things are going to come. Just wait, hang in there. And it says, if you believe in him, what well, believe is important, right? Faith is important. If you don't believe in the promises of God and the promises of Jesus, then you don't actually have faith, right? It's called wishful thinking. That's not nearly as good. To know God, the character of God, the character of Jesus, and put your trust in him, right? That is faith. And so in Hebrews, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is exactly, but the famous verse in Hebrews 11.1, it's about the faith. What is faith, okay? And what does it look like? It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Wait. How can we be sure of what is a hope? Right? I mean, it's just a hope. It's a fuzzy thing. I hope it happens. I hope it will be realized. But you're sure of it. There's certainty about it. Right? That is faith. Where you can say, although I haven't seen it, I know it's going to happen. Okay? And being certain of what we do not see. We haven't seen heaven yet. We haven't gone there yet. But is there a heaven? Amen. Are you going to go there? Yes. Are you certain you're going to be there? Yes. Because of Jesus, right? And you're certain about that. And that, if you can say amen to that, that means you have faith. Right? But faith in what? <laughs> Our faith is only as good as the character of the person who has made the promise. Right? Have you ever made, a, has someone ever made a promise to you they have broken? 
Unfortunately, in this day and age, you know, we have a thing called a wedding ceremony, and people stand up here. I've done a few. <laughs> Praise God. What a blessed time, right? And I used to tell them, okay, now it's time to make your vow. Okay? Do you take this person as your lawfully wedded husband or wife, right? To have it in the whole, to honor and respect, to love and cherish, to, for your better or worse, you know, sickness and health, till death do you part. And you know what they say? I do. And then later on, I got a report. Oh, they're not hanging out together anymore. Well, the commitment, okay, and we all, we had this conversation yesterday. We had relatives over. We talked about love is not so much the fuzzy wuzzies that you get, okay? Sometimes those are called hormones, okay? Love is a commitment, okay, that you make. That I am good for my word, okay, and that's why there's that whole clause in the, in the when you get married for sickness, and whether it's sickness or in health, for richer or poor, right? I mean that's in there because God knows when you get married, stuff's gonna happen. It's gonna be bad, right? And when things start falling apart and, and you don't have that passion because you're getting you know aged and stuff like that, well, what's gonna keep you together? It's the faithfulness of the promise. That's all you got, right? I said, I do, under all circumstances. Therefore, I am still here, and I'm going to hang in and do it, right? So the, the faith that we have is, is the surety that we have is only as good as the person that has made the promise. And fortunately for us, who has made the promise? It's God himself who has made the promise. So in Hebrews, it talks about the definition of faith, being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not even see, and then it lists a long list of people, right? It's got, it's got Abel, Enoch, uh, Abraham, you know, Moses, Noah. It just goes down and down and down. It lists all these people of faith. And you look at that list and say, wow, what an impressive list of people of faith. They only had one thing in common. You know what that was? It wasn't the strength of their faith so much. Their faith was they knew that God was faithful. Okay? When God says something, he's going to do it. Case in point, Abraham is a prime example, right? God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, you're going to have a son. I'm going to give you a son, Isaac. And Sarah laughed, right? At 90? Ha, 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 ha. Right? Abraham says, well, that's a bit of a stretch there, you know, knowing who I am at this age. But, whatever. If God said so, it's going to happen. And I'm going to bank on it. That is faith. Amen? Amen? So your faith and my faith is only as good as two things. One is the character of God. Is God faithful? And... Are his promises true? Amen. Those are the only two things that really matter. Is God faithful? And everything that he says in the Bible, will it come true? Because God cannot lie, right? And if you have those two things, you have faith. And you have strong faith. Faith as strong as Abraham, who is the father of our faith. Our faith can be just as strong as those listed in that famous list of faith people. Because why? Our faith is based on who God is and what he said. And when Abraham believed and reckoned 
and he, God says, okay, you believe me, you trust in me, go sacrifice your son. He takes his son up, and he's about to stab him, right? And, and the angel of God says, I got it, you don't have to kill him. I was just testing you to see if you really trusted me, and you knew who I am, and that my promises are sure. And it says, Abraham reckoned that God would raise him from the dead if he stabbed his son to death anyway. Why? Because he promised. God made a promise to, to Abraham, right? So the faith that we talk about that gives us the hope, that gives us the inexpressible joy, is only as good as the character of God and his promises. So if you want greater faith, what should we do? There's only two things we need to work on. One is, get to know God a little better. Amen? Now, how do you do that? You come to worship, you go to discipleship, you do Bible study. That's how you get to know the character of God and his faithfulness throughout all generations. And that's why there's the Old Testament, right? Many, many examples of how the people weren't faithful, but God was, right? So study the Bible, and that's what discipleship is. The second is examine the promises of God carefully, okay? When you read, like, uh, the Bible, there are lots of stuff in the Bible. There's like the genealogy and numbers, right? Stuff like that. Probably not as important, okay? Don't spend your life reading the genealogy. <laughs> What's important is the promises of God that he has made to his people, and we are the people, the, the descendants of Abraham by faith. So the promises he made to those folks are our promises. So we take those promises and say, Amen. God is going to fulfill his promises in my life. And so Abraham... Speaking of Abraham, this is what Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, 100, and Sarah herself was barren, didn't have kids their whole life, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham was able to see his son Isaac, okay, literally, figuratively resurrected from the dead even, because he figured the one who made the promise, who is God, is faithful. That is faith. We don't need to squeeze faith out of us that we don't have. Faith is knowing who God is and is God is faithful. So is God faithful? Amen. Then you have faith. Right? And will the promises of God be fulfilled? Amen? Amen? And that is what gives us this inexpressible joy and the hope that we have in the promises of God. And that's what Paul is talking about. Remember what you have. You have faith that leads to hope, which gives you joy. And under all and every circumstances, that will stand and give us joy under, under different circumstances. The second part he talks about is being patient in afflictions. Well, patience is hard for all of us. We know that. We tend to gravitate toward impatience. It's hard to wait for anything especially good things, why wait for good things, right? So it says, be patient in affliction. What he's talking about in affliction is a very specific type of thing. It's not we sin and then we suffer the consequences of our own sins. He's not talking about that, okay? That's probably more in the category of foolishness or personal sin. When he talks about affliction, he's talking about being a Christian, especially in those days, somewhat nowadays, comes with a challenge. People will persecute you for your faith. Okay? Fortunately, in America, not many people get persecuted for their faith. But even in America, we know that happens in Afghanistan and you know, Syria and so on. We, we've seen that you know, on the news, where Christians suffer for the sake 
of their faith and they have to recant their faith and, you know, convert for the sake of the sword, you know, and all of that. In America, have you suffered for your faith? Last week, have you suffered? It's like, oh, I was afflicted because I was a Christian in the woodlands. Did you get, did you get that? Or is it kind of like we're on cruise control, everything is good, and God blesses me, and it's all... Well, the Bible is talking to the early Christians, that Paul was, of course, but the Bible is written to us as well, right? So we need to think about what does affliction mean for a Christian today, and when do we get afflicted? Well, affliction comes to us when we are in a world that does not love Jesus Christ and has a separate kingdom that's operating, right? It's called the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the world is operating. And we start exhibiting Christ in an environment that doesn't like Jesus, okay? We proclaim his name, we praise him, we talk about him, we testify for him, we witness for him, we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And generally speaking, when you do that, the people around you are like, oh, I don't want to hear that, right? You're so narrow-minded. You're bigoted. I mean, you know, they're going to label us and give us a hard time, and after all, we're like, okay, I'm not going to bother talking about it anymore. The affliction that you and I will receive as Christians in this lovely country called the United States is when we open our mouths and try to share the gospel with someone. Can I get an amen? When you do that, there will be affliction in some form or fashion. I don't know of many cases where I try to share the gospel and people say, Wow, I am so glad you came to me today. I've been waiting all year for you to show up and tell me the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, it happens once in a while. Remember, David, it happened in Guatemala? <laughs> I mean, once it happens like that, we're like, oh, this is a God moment. This is awesome. But it doesn't always happen that way. So when you open your mouth and talk about Jesus Christ, you know, people are like, oh, you know, that Christ lover, oh my gosh, <laughs> leave me alone, <laughs> right? So we will get afflictions of various kinds, okay, when we try to testify for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, are you my follower? Yes? If you are my follower and live like my follower and act like my follower, you will be persecuted. And guess what? Brothers and sisters in the Lord, when we accept Jesus Christ, he not only promised heaven, praise God for that, he also promised affliction. Okay? So we need to take both sides, right? We have to take the good, good part, the happy part. We also have to receive some expectation or affliction. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. This is as he's leaving the disciples, his last speech to them. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will face trouble, especially if you try to represent me and talk about the kingdom of heaven and try to advance that agenda as a church, as an individual Christian, as a missionary, you will be opposed and there will be hardship that's coming at you. And he says, be patient. Be patient in affliction because the game is not over. The game is not over until the second coming of Jesus Christ and he reestablishes all heaven and all earth all over again. So until that time, be patient. And whether the affliction that's coming to you, because that's part of being a Christian. No amens on that one? Oh, come on, brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's part of, 
the Bible truth, right? Except both parts, the good part and the, the difficult part. Okay, Jesus says, do this for me. Okay, can you do this for me? In other words, this week, go out and say something about Jesus Christ to somebody and see what happens. And you may come back next Sunday and say, Pastor Steve, I've been afflicted. You know, it wasn't pretty. (laughs) I'm suffering for the Lord now. (laughs) But that is our lot, right? That is what we signed up for when we became a Christian. Okay? So Jesus reminds us that that is coming, that hardship is coming. So it's hard to be patient. We say, Jesus, can you just remove this affliction from me? I don't want to be in the midst of it. But part of that is being in the ministry of Christ is that suffering will be part of it. And so what do we do? How can we be a witness for Jesus Christ when it's hard to be patient? Well, when we can be patient is, again, kind of like what we talked about, the hope, the, the joy that, that comes from the hope that we have, is that we can afford to be patient because the game isn't done and someone is in control. Who is in control of the situation in our lives, whatever it may be? God is the one that's always in control, right? So we don't always have to intervene and and do stuff. Like oftentimes when affliction comes our way or someone gives us a hard time, our natural reaction is to retaliate, right? And fight back and, and give them what they deserve. That's kind of the basic human reaction. You hurt me, I hurt you. You hurt my family, I hurt you, right? That's basic. But Paul says don't do that as a Christian. Be patient and wait on God, right? God is up to something good. So if someone hits you and you don't hit them back and you say, bless you, brother. God loves you. What do you think the reaction is going to be? You know? How do you think other people react when you don't react normally? The normal reaction is to retaliate, right? And you do something different like, I feel bad. You must be having a hard day. It's okay. Right? I love you. You know, I pray for you, or can I help you in some way? Right? I mean, turn it around and really care for the person and where they're coming from, because there's a lot of frustrated and angry people out there, and we say something different, right? And they get to thinking, wait a minute, that's not normal. Normal people don't do that. I don't usually do that. What are you doing? You know what it does? It puts a little thought in their brain that maybe there is an alternative universe, okay? Where Christians live, it's weird. They don't retaliate. They love their enemies. They forgive. They're kind and gentle. What is that? Is there such a thing out there? And you get a few times, and they're like, whoa, 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 this this alternative universe that I was thinking about is a reality. The kingdom of God is real. I want in. How do I get in? By then, someone comes by and shares the gospel, you're good. You say, Jesus. Okay, then, whoa, that's what I've been looking for all my life. So that is the witness that we're talking about. As Christians, if we don't behave like everybody else behaves that normally we want to behave, right, that itself is a witness. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so Jesus says, that is what you do as Christians. You don't have to share the gospel 24-7 in your interactions with difficult people. Show them a little grace kindness, love, and patience. And it plants a seed in their heart. And Jesus says, what? He says, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Right? You're trying to be a witness and you're getting a, a bad rap. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. There we go. We're rejoicing because we have our reward in heaven. Okay? For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they killed them, i.e., you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He says, we are the salt of the world. Okay? In other words, we are supposed to give the world some spice, something tasty to think about, okay? something different. And if we do not do our roles as salt, as Christians in the world, I'm sorry to say, he's saying we're not being very useful. I think he says useless, but we're not actually being useful for the sake of the kingdom, the way we should be, are expected to be. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer a witness for him. So those are pretty harsh words coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, but does Jesus have a right to admonish us, encourage us, teach us, rebuke us, and correct us? I believe he does. I believe he has earned the right to do that because he died for us. And he says, follow me and I'm going to bless you. And all this stuff he's saying may sound harsh, but at the end of the day, he did talk about a reward in heaven for those who invest in the kingdom of heaven. So think carefully, brothers and sisters in the Lord, of your investment, of where your rewards are, where your treasures are, and so it's hard to be patient. And oftentimes, as we're raising kids, we get impatient. Have you ever been impatient as a parent with your children? Why do we get impatient with our, with our kids? Because what? We expect them to be better by now. Oh my goodness. You know? You're 18 years old. You're 25 years old. You should know better by now. Right? Sometimes a two-year-old, we say, you should know better by now. Okay, that's a little harsh, but we do that to little kids too, right? You're still going in their diaper. It's time to go to the toilet. Come on, you know, get over it. So we tend to lose patience with those that are close to us. Why is that? Why is it that we are so impatient with those that we love and give them a hard time? I believe it's because we forget whose schedule we're on. We are actually on somebody else's schedule. Our lives, our children's lives, those around us. We cannot dictate or change a single day in their lives by our will because God is the one who numbers the number of hairs on their head, not us. God is in control and he's up to something good all the time. Can I get an amen? amen. Romans 8.28, we already reviewed this verse. What does it say? It says... And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God is up to something good, especially if your child is a believer. Okay? They belong not to us, but to who? They belong to God. God is going to take care of them. They're in God's hands. He's up to something good. If they're a slow developer, so what? It's in his schedule. Right? And he's going to make it good not according to our schedule, right? 
bam, bam, you gotta check off this, and you know, if they're a little bit off, we get anxious, like, oh, my child isn't developing, he's not maturing. Whose schedule are we on? We are on God's schedule, and he's gonna make it good someday. So we can afford to be a little bit patient and wait on God, because he will bring the fruit in season. Now, none of us are farmers here, so you know, it's hard to make these farmer analogies. <laughs> but you know, in those days, olden days, a lot of them were agricultural, so they, they have a lot of farming analogies, right? And they talk about things will come in season, okay? So as I was preparing the message, I was reminded of this song, okay? I'm gonna put on my glasses. Now, those of you that know this song, I can relate to you, because that tells me you're my age, <laughs> okay? For the other half, you just say, Pastor Steve is really old, and I don't know that song. But anyway, I'm gonna give you a little snip of it, okay? Because it's, it's a good song. It goes, uh, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time for every purpose under heaven. It goes like that. Okay, how many of you know it? Oh, more of you know that. Okay, now I'm, now I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the love. Okay. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plan, a time to reap. It goes like that, okay? But the point of the song is there's a time and a season for everything, and it's under heaven. It's under God. It's not our season. We can't dictate, kid, grow up faster than you can. God says, look, I got it. I got it, okay? Don't pressurize your kid so much. He's slow in some things, he's fast in other things. He's not exactly the way that we want them to be. So give him some slack, give him some room. Be patient in affliction when your child isn't developing. Right? And love them. Okay? Be a salt and light to them instead of terrorizing them like we tend to do with our children. Okay? It's not happening fast enough. That's our schedule. According to God's schedule, it's perfectly progressing. And in due season, he will reap a harvest from our lives and the lives of our children. Just you wait, okay? So don't be pruning too quickly, okay? Stuff that's not ready to be pruned. Whack, 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 okay? Give them a hard time. So it says, uh, <clears throat> in the next verse, talks about this, James 5, 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. In those days, uh, the, the rain would cause the final fruition of the agricultural crop. And the, what they're saying is, I'm a farmer, and it seems every season God shows up and he waters my plants right? in his perfect schedule without missing a beat. And he's in control. And as a farmer, I don't have to sit there being anxious that this tree isn't growing at the rate it should be. It's going to grow when God waters it in his perfect schedule. So don't go beat up the tree. It can't grow any faster than God has ordained it. So be patient with those around you. It's on God's schedule. Amen? Amen. Hard to do, I admit. It's one of the hardest so lastly, uh, we talk about prayer, faithful in prayer, and Sister Sister talked about it, so I'm not going to say much about it. <clears throat> Why is prayer important? 
When you lose hope, when you're losing the joy, we need to pray. When you're becoming patient and anxious and frustrated, we need to pray. Because those frustrations and anxieties and the fears and the lack of joy that we have is because spiritually we're drifting away from God. The further away from God there will be, what are we left with? Ourselves, right? And the further away we're left with ourselves, the more anxious we'll be. Because it is a big, complicated world out there. We have no control over the stuff that goes on. And we get anxious and frustrated and fearful and unjoyful, impatient. All those things happen because we're separated from God. And so what does prayer do? It brings us back into fellowship. We spend time with God and God reminds us, hey, 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 time out here. I got this. Oh, you got it? Okay, then I'm not going to worry about that one. Okay? What are you so anxious about? Right? You can't change anything on your own apart from me. I'm the sovereign God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, and I got this. I got your job. I got your promotion. It may or may not happen, but either way, I got it. Don't be anxious. If you do and justify it, I'm sure you will get it. Don't be anxious about your marriage. I'm going to bring people into your life that I've already planned before. And one perfect day, they're going to enter your life and you will know this is the person that God has ordained for me to be married with. And I'm going to be blessed the rest of my life. And don't be anxious. You don't have to be like everybody else on their schedule. Wait on God. Be patient. And those kind of whispers... Brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not come from the world, right? The world says all the opposite. You don't have enough stuff. You should be worried. You should be you know, worried about your money, your finances. You know, it's going to be a disaster. So come invest with us. You know? or come buy another gadget that will make you happy. Or you better get married you know, ASAP because everybody else is getting married. I mean, all of that kind of stuff, the world is bombarding us. And if, if we're drifting away from God in fellowship... We listen to that kind of stuff, right? The closer we get to God, He speaks His truth, His peace, His rest, His confidence, His joy, His hope, and then our spirits breathe, we rest, we have fellowship with God, and we say, it's going to be okay. I can be joyful in the hope that I have of eternal life. I can be patient in the midst of affliction. And I will continue to pray and build my relationship and fellowship with God, who is the source of all things good in my life. Praise God. And have thankfulness in our hearts. Say, God, I am so thankful. Today, as I was praising with you during the praise set, the praise songs were so good. Were they, were they amazing? And as I was singing with you, the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me in this place and He just reminded me of all the blessedness in this church, in your lives. Now, I know you. I know your lives. And are your lives perfect? Every single one of the families here, none of your lives are, are perfect or close to perfection. We all have struggles. But I, I am reminded this day that every one of us also has been blessed by God. As I was praising the goodness of God and his faithfulness and his love for us, 
how he showers it down on ICF and the members of the body of Christ that deserve it or don't deserve it, because that's the way he is, I was reminded what an awesome God we serve. And I was also reminded that, that I forget what an awesome God we serve unless I come here 10.30 every Sunday because out in there I think about lots of other things and I'm so thankful that I have a church family I can come to every Sunday and be reminded of the goodness of God because I need that. I need that desperately every Sunday. And so if we don't have the fellowship with God either corporately or personally over time we will drift and the quality of our life is not going to be the blessedness that God wants us to have. And I'm not telling you to come to church because I'm the pastor and, you know, oh my gosh, the seats are empty. Who gives a hoot, really? It's about your personal blessedness that God is after. And throughout the week, there's going to be a million reasons why you can't come, right? Especially Saturday, Satan is especially active, okay? Well, tomorrow morning, we're going to be busy doing something else. fellowship and the prayer life with God and the closeness that we have and the intimacy that we have with this, with this amazing God of the universe which he offers us which is, again is a bizarre thing that, that I can talk to, have fellowship with and love on the God of the universe itself is kind of a crazy idea but he gives that to us as a gift and you and I, brothers and sisters in the Lord, should enjoy that so, last words for this Sunday. In the business of life, it has been a while you sat down with God for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And you almost forgot what that's like because you've been so busy. I urge you, put it on your phone or your calendar, however you do it, but spend a little bit of time with Him. And He will restore, redeem, refill all the things that are missing in your life and your heart will start being satisfied with the present. And that is where we find the joy and the hope and the patience, which, which is not within us. It comes from above and drops down onto us like little droplets of rain in the spring and in the fall. And it quenches us, waters us, nourishes us, and causes us to be fruitful in season and out of season. And that's the way of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Paul's instructions about joy and hope and patience and faithfulness and prayer. It's hard to live all these things as, you have as the Bible has instructed us. But we know deep down these things are good for us. And help us, Father God, to grow in faith, which is to grow in our love for you and strengthen our relationship with you. And all the things that the world is saying are mostly lies and help us to turn away from that, to grow in our trust and faith in you. We thank you, Father God, for the church and all you're doing in it. If there's anyone here, Father God, who has heard the gospel many times, even from this pulpit, and they have not turned over their life to Jesus Christ, we know how lonely that can be. We know how desperate that can be at times. We just ask, Father God, that you grant them the same privilege and the blessings that you have granted many of us already that they will come to know that there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is redemption, there is perfection, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. Ask them, Father God, to turn to you this day and give them, give 
their lives to you, that they may live a new life. That is our hope. We thank you, Father God, for loving us and blessing us in so many ways, and we love you back. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.